0: Thank you. Uh, this morning we're going to be in just a moment in Deuteronomy chapter 34. If you want to turn there, you're more than welcome. Be one that we'll read together and then spend a little bit of time sharing some story and spending some time together. I'd like for you for just the next moment, if you would, uh, to turn your attention to the screen. We're going to read a passage together. It is the Old Testament lectionary text for the morning, uh, but it'll be one I'd like for us to share together. So if you would stand with me, we do this out of kind of respect for the reading of the Word, and, uh, and I'd like for you to follow along with me. Deuteronomy chapter 34. I'll read aloud, and you can follow there on these screens or on your own. Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah across from Jericho. Uh, If you're an Old Testament person, there's a lot of symbolism and a lot of locations that you probably remember from other stories there. It says, there the Lord showed him the whole land, from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, from the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh all the land of Judah, as far as the Mediterranean Sea, and the Negev, and the whole region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms, as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab, in the valley opposite Beth Peor, But to this day, no one knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. God, we come before you this morning reading a story that is the final chapter of Moses' life. And yet this morning, God, I'm confident that you want to speak to us through just these final days, weeks, maybe months. God, would you do so clearly this morning? Help us to leave this place better knowing you so that we can serve you better. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. enjoy going to events where we get to spend time together sharing stories. As a matter of fact, one of the great things about the meal that we'll share together, many of you have brought soups. I think we had like 11 or 12 people sign up to bring soups this morning. There's about as many as desserts, if I'm not mistaken. I would love to have you stay. We'll give some direction for all that. But the great thing about sitting around and enjoying a meal together is the fact that you get to share stories of what's taking place. I mean, that's one of the great parts of Trunk or Treat last night. You're getting to stand around and and maybe share a piece of candy, Get a chance to be able to hang out. I know different people have uh, different uh, opinions when it comes to Halloween. So let me just give you my, my maybe two-minute soapbox. ECN does a trunk-or-treat event. You want to know why? Because in 7th century AD, a guy named Pope Gregory II decided to declare November 1, All Saints Day. He decided right after that that Halloween. All Hallows' Eve would be celebrated the day before, or better yet, All Saints' Day was November 1, and Hallows' Eve would be the one that preceded before that. I know there's some folks who uh, get a little bit torqued about the nature of the October 31st event, and they're like, well, you know, there were some Celtics back in the year like zero, like 20 A.D., somewhere in there, who did some pagan things. Folks, I don't know out of 365 days a year, there hasn't been some time when a pagan did something dumb on a day. Amen? You know what I mean? Like, I mean, it's just life, okay? So like, I don't know that we could say, like, we need to disqualify the day that a pagan has done something, okay? So if you're going to disqualify every day, then you're just not going to get to do anything the entire year. So here's ECN's stance on it. If our community is going to continue to dress up especially kids, dress up and have fun getting candy and all those sorts of things, then ECN is going to be in the middle of it telling them about Jesus. All right. It's what we've been doing as a church for 1,200 years, and Pastor Daniel's not going to be the one to stand up and say, "No, church, it's over," because we're no longer going to tell people about Jesus because some pagan did something stupid in 2,000, 2,000 years ago. Okay? So that's how we're going to operate. You got any more questions? We can talk about it. All right. But that's how we're going to operate. We're going to continue to tell people about Jesus, no matter what day it is. All right. Now, I love that event because you get to sit around and meet people. And you get to hear stories. I was at a birthday party this past weekend, actually during the week. And it was such an awesome opportunity to see where this one individual being celebrated had friends from both church and life and and maybe the professional side of things, like folks coming together. And then they get to share stories. They get to tell of the things that have taken place and the things that have happened. Some really, really fun stories. I mean, some of you sit around in places and you go to family events and you get to hear people tell those stories. I've had people since I came back from sabbatical There's been a rumor that has uh, been spread around. When I say rumor, it's because there are parts and pieces of it are true, but the whole story has not yet been told that on one of the uh, excursions that I went along, many of you know that I've got a, a set of pack mules. We actually took one to our Trunk or Treat event last night. Uh, by the way, it was a bit of a joke. If you didn't get the joke last night uh, at our Trunk or Treat event, Stephanie, my wife, and I had a, had Jack, our mule, behind us in a pen, and there was a big sign that said mule for sale. And it said things like gentle and bomb proof and, you know, all the great things. And then me and Stephanie are standing there with crutches and, like, braces and Carly, by the way, I wore makeup for the first time last night. I don't know how you women survive. Carly did one eye. I thought I was going to just lose it, okay? Like she kept, dad quit being a sissy. I was like, stop it, you're poking me in the face. So I wore makeup to look like a black eye. And the best part of that event was when I'm sitting there, about 50% of the people who came by immediately walked up and were like, oh, that's good. And then 25% were like, so what's the deal with the crutches? Are you okay? And then we're like, read the sign. They're like, aha, that's funny. 25% were still trying to offer us money for the mule. Just totally missing the whole point of the whole thing, all right? But there's been a rumor, some people have walked around and they're like, is that the mule that tried to commit suicide on your sabbatical? It was not that mule, all right? But so that we can set the record straight, here's the story. I started off on a trip in Colorado chasing elk and getting into some gnarly mountains, something I enjoy doing from time to time. I know this sounds crazy, but I like testing myself in those ways. And so we parked in an area I've never been to. If you know anything about going up into the mountains, we parked at about 10,400 feet of elevation. That's where the truck parked. And then we went up into the mountains, which is going up pretty high in elevation. I have two mules that are about 15 years old that have been there, done that many times. I have two mules that are six and seven years old. They're from Mississippi. Okay? They have no idea what not being able to breathe feels like. And quite frankly, I knew it would be an issue, but I didn't know how much of an issue. Because we started at 10,600. When I say we went up and over, the pass, we had to cross over was at 11,700. So as we go over the pass, we then start, anybody know what switchbacks are? It's when the ground is too steep to just go down. You have to keep going back and forth and back to lose elevation. And so we were camping down near about 10,400 feet, which is a little bit difficult to breathe even still. But we spent a week there because the trip was successful. We were like, God, it's time for us to leave. We started packing up all of our gear. And we thought at one point we should try to get out of here in one trip. We tried to bring, there were only two of us that were on the trip, and then we had four mules. I said, I think we can get everybody out in one trip. So we load everything up in camp and we begin moving. And the first kind of test is if we can cross the first creek, I think we'll be okay to speed the story up. We did not cross the first creek before our first rodeo. All right, when I say rodeo, I mean mule losing its mind running around. Now we have gear coming off. Like this is, we're 200 yards from where we just started. We haven't got a sweat yet. You know, I'm going like this is a bad start. So here's what we do we're going to take some of this off of Patsy. She's one of our, our females. We're going to put it off to the side and we'll just come back and get it later. We'll ride the rest of the way out of here. We'll get uh, all the gear out and then me and Jack and, and Gypsy, my two older experienced mules, we'll ride right back in. It'll be about a 20 mile day for them up and over that path but they'll be fine like it's not that's not too far of a distance for one day so we began to leave we leave the pack on the ground it has a lot of our gear and has antlers on top and those sorts of things and so then we're we're headed out and and the problem is you have to go past this lake and then you begin the switchbacks and and I knew that we were going to be in a in a bit more of a precarious situation well I knew it was going to be bad when I was picking myself back up off the ground one of the mules had decided to run around, and when it ran around, it got me caught up in the rope, and then my gypsy, who I was riding, decided she didn't want ropes wrapped around both of us, and so she went up in the air, I fell off, landed on my back. It was just a, a pretty not fun moment, but after that, you know, we've got mules standing around there breathing heavy, you know, because we're at about 11,000 feet at this point, and so we go up and uh, get, get all that kind of recovered from, get everybody back in order. One of the things I've learned is, when you're moving, just keep moving. It's the stopping and starting that's the problem, so just keep moving, and so we get finally. Finally up to the pass, and the pass by that point we'd have a couple of issues. And there's more, somebody that loved more stories, and like there's a lot more to go on there. But we finally made it to that pass. The, the pass is a low spot between really, really high spots. And, and we get to the top, and I told my friend Brett, I said, Man, we just need to keep going. We're moving, they're doing okay, they're breathing heavy because we stopped a couple of times. And you know, at 11,700 feet, if you've never been in that high of elevation, it takes a minute to recover. I knew my two younger mules were breathing heavier. I knew that it was taking them a little bit longer. They've never experienced lack of oxygen before. This is new to them. But I was like, they've calmed back down and we're okay. One of the mules, by the way, is a, a, we would call her Buddy Sour in the equine world, which means she always wants to be with everybody else. So we don't even tire. We just let her follow. And she's great at that. She just follows around with all the pack and all the gear. I'm riding gypsy up front and I have a, a mule known as Hazel who's behind me. Hazel's another female and she's okay, but Hazel's a sightseer. You know what I mean? Like, if you've ever ridden an animal to sightseer, they like looking off into the distance and not paying attention. They're just like along for the ride. And so I keep Hazel ponied, which is the word to use for uh, tied to me. And when I say tied, some of you, are horse people. Hear me out. I do not tie them together because that's an absolute train wreck waiting to happen. But one wrap around the horn of my saddle, and then it goes back to her. And then if something happens, I can just let go of the rope. We're riding through a place at about 11,500. And there's a path that you have to go around through an old burn where wildfire had been. And the path is about this wide. And to your left, it's not very steep. But to your right, you're kind of riding the edge, so to speak. And that trail goes around. And it is broken logs and burned area and dirt and rock just below you. And when I say below you, folks, uh, there's probably nothing that you can look at right here that would give you an example. Let's just say that if you go down, that it requires you to stand sideways, to go down to the next tree and stop, go to the next tree and stop, those sorts of things, and Brett's behind me and I'm riding up front so it's you know myself on Gypsy and then Hazel who's ponied to me and then Patsy who's just doing her thing and then my buddy Brett is riding Jack the old faithful Jack right. And, and we're coming through I didn't know there was a problem you know sometimes things happen so fast that the thing that you remember happening first is not what happened first it's just what your brain recognized as first I remember first feeling something slap me on top of the hand as a matter of fact the scab has just now gone away something slapped me on top of the hand enough that like I picked my hand up and immediately when I picked my hand up the next thing I remember is hearing all of the mules making a mule noise. Uh, I'm not going to imitate a mule noise this morning. If you're at Trunk or Treat, you know what I'm talking about. All right? Jack sounds like a dinosaur from prehistoric times roaring off into the distance. All right? That's what I'm talking about. Everybody's doing this and then I can hear the unmistakable sound of hoof beats and panniers. Panniers are the bags or boxes that go on the outside of a mule for them to carry stuff. And I I turned To look, in Hazel, what happened was she jumped off the trail so fast I never felt the rope get tight. The rope went around the horn and slapped me on top of the hand so hard it cut the top of my hand. That's how fast this thing happened. She took off, and when I say took off, she jumped off of the trail, and then I think she had no idea. I think she was so tired and had not had good oxygen, and we all make bad decisions when we're tired. All I know is this. She went off the side of the mountain, and all I can see were those panniers on her sides, and she's disappearing because it's so steep, she's gone. Um, The rest of the mules are going nuts. Uh, Brett jumps off of Jack because he's afraid Jack's about to follow because, folks, we're watching this animal go to her death. That's what's happening. Okay, And as she's going down the mountain, I'm steering mine back up the mountain. We have to, and Brett's like, what do we do? And I'm like, keep going. You have to let her go. You cannot stop. Like, So we go another 150 yards. We're above tree lines. We have to find trees and then tie off to trees. And then this whole time, the last time I saw Hazel, she was going over the edge where I couldn't see her anymore, and she had lost her feet footing because she's hitting the ground every 12 or 15 feet going down the mountain. She finally ducks and all I see are body parts of a mule and panniers doing this down the mountain. And I'm hearing, hearing the panniers and everything. I get to where we're finally tied off and the mules are just breathing heavy. If you ever been around them when they're nervous? Just their nostrils are flared and they're blowing heavy and we get them tied off and I know some of you think this is a horrible thought to have, but it is the natural thing. It is what needs to happen when this sort of scenario takes place. I asked my friend, Brett, did you bring your sidearm with you? He said, I've got my sidearm. I said, man, I, I'm gonna need it because an animal doesn't go off the mountain like this and survive. Like, And if it's surviving, it needs to be put out of its misery. I know that's tough for some of you, but it's reality. And so I go back and I grab my pistol and I head off down the hill. I get to where I can finally see where she is. And when I look down there, to my surprise, she's standing on the side of a mountain, finally got her feet right. The bags are still underneath her, and she's looking up the mountain at me, like big old eyes like this looking at me. I'm like, Hazel, you okay, honey? And she's looking. You know, like this. I'm like, I'm coming, darling. I'm coming. You know, so like down the mountain, I go, you know, uh, Stephanie thinks I talk nicer to the mules and her. I don't. Okay. But like, I'm coming, honey. So down the mountain, I go, you know, and I get down there to her and she's looking at me big eyed. She's not, she's not breathing very heavy and she's not shaking. There's blood on the panniers. So like, we got a problem. Brett's still trying to get down, and he's like, is she okay? And I'm like, I don't know yet. Everything's wrapped around her. And so she kept her footing standing on the side of the hill and would listen to me enough. I could get her to bend down, which is a hard thing to do to tell an equine to to bend, okay? So I got her to bend down. We're taking all the panniers off of her. I find that she has a real small cut on what many of you would call her heel, all right? Small is about this long, but that's where all the blood was coming from. I look at her sides. I expected her to be disemboweled or broken, all sorts of things. And I'm looking at her, and I get her undone. And then she, like, she scurries out from under all the stuff and turns and looks at me like, Did you see what happened? You know, I guess what she's looking at, my, and I'm like, I can't believe you're alive. You know, so we're talking for a minute, and, I, like, and I'm like, Hazel, are you like, I don't see anything. I mean, she's got some hair missing on her forehead where something got her. She's got a spot on her on her hind quarter where the leather strap, uh, you know, rubbed her so badly that there's no fur there. She's recovering from all. The animals survived the trip, and when I asked Brett the whole time, I'm like, bro, what happened? And he's like, she wanted to die. I don't know what to tell you, man. She looked off the mountain, she looked back at you, and she just went, and jumped. And I was like, she decided life ain't worth living anymore. I ain't going anywhere with that preacher again, you know. A little bit of, of more, I called a buddy of mine who's been a mule person for forever, and I said, man, do I need to just sell her like, do I need to send her to a trainer? What am I going to do? Because she has to be mentally wrecked from this. And he said, ho, ho, like, why would you need to sell her? And I said, man, she fell off of a mountain, like, three to 400 yards, feet of elevation down. She tumbled at the end, like, and, and, and you know, the wound on her legs, healed, all that's fine. But, like, she's not going to be right. And he said, like, she may be the best mule you've ever had. And I said, "How? what do you even mean? And he said, did you go down and get her? And I said, I did. He said, I had a mule fall off a mountain one time, man. I went down there and got her out of that mess. She will do anything I ask her, and she'll go anywhere I ask her to go, and she's as calm as can be because she knows I'm going to come save her. Now, I have no idea. Hazel may still be crazy. We ain't tried yet, okay? (laughs) May still be crazy. But I know this. It it was an incredibly, we ended up making it back to the trailer that night, brought Hazel with us. Uh, By the way, remember the pack I told you we left in camp? It had my sleeping bag, all of our food in it. Yep, yep, yep. That was a nightmare. Uh, I slept in a horse trailer. It was 26 degrees. And I just put on every stitch of clothing I had. And by the time I woke up, I had 17 hot hands stuck to me all over trying to stay warm for the night. Like that was another part of the trick. But, you know, I just enjoy sharing stories because there's something about stories that bond us together. I forget sometimes the stories I've shared and I've had people who've walked up to me who have either listened to us on the radio or they've listened to us at home or they've been in a sanctuary and they've heard some of my stories and they walk up and they're like, man, you know, it's just like when Hazel fell off the mountain. And I'm like, how do you know that story? And, well, because we share the stories. Can you imagine with me for just a moment, can you imagine me for a moment sitting around listening to Moses tell stories, similar to the birthday party I was at, sitting around a campfire. Can you imagine sitting around a campfire well just for our story's sake this morning, I don't know that we're gonna sit around campfires in heaven, but you know, just say we do. If you sit around a campfire in heaven and you listen to Moses tell stories, can you imagine? I mean, he has to say things so quickly that like you, you have to ask him, like, you did what? You know, like he starts telling his story about like, yeah, so I don't remember this, but like I was a I was a baby born to these people, and then these people were trying to kill the babies over here, and and my mom and sister thought it'd be a good idea to put me in a basket and put me in a river. And when I was in her basket in the river, uh, this really, really prominent uh, politician's daughter finds me in the river. Uh, and then, so she needs somebody to, she has compassion on me, and that's what they tell me anyway. And, he, and they tell me that like she called, and then my sister comes out of the bushes and says, I can find somebody to take care of you, of him. And, and the politician's daughter goes, yeah, do that for me. And so the sister goes back and gets the mom, and he goes, so I was raised by my mom, but I was raised by my mom by the people who wanted to kill us in the politician's house. What, okay? And then when I got older, I started having some real identity issues because I didn't know who I was. I've been raised by these people who were trying to kill and, and like hold these people in prison in 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 slavery. But as I'm trying to figure out who I am, and, and like I'm a Hebrew, but like I was raised by these people, I got really mad one day because I, I saw one man beating another, and and I wanted to defend my people that I was born into, people, and ended up killing this guy and I buried him in the sand. I thought I got away with it until somebody else like said later on, "Are you going to kill me like you did the other dude?" And like I got really really scared, so then I I ran away and I ran and, and tried to start life over somewhere else. And like I was watching herds and sheep and I kind of thought I'd gotten away with it because I had moved so far and put all that stuff behind me. And so then I'm doing this life and I'm watching these sheep or watching these, these herds. And as I'm watching the herds and taking care of them, I see there's a fire up on the mountain and I'm worried about that fire. So like I need to see what's going on. I get up there and there's this bush that's on fire, but it's not burning up, which is super weird. Like it's just, it's continuing to burn and it's still there. And as I get closer, I know you're going to think I'm crazy, but like, look, I've made peace with this. A voice talked to me out of that bush it said it was God and God said for me to remove my my sandals because what I was standing on was holy ground and over the next few minutes the God from the burning bush tells me that he had heard my people the ones I was born to not the ones I was raised by he had heard my people my my born to people he heard them crying out and asking for help and he was going to deliver them and he was going to use me had to make peace with that for a while Moses would have to work through like how, how would that look? I can only imagine him telling the story and continuing on yeah, like you think that's weird. like he asked me to go back and talk to Pharaoh in order to get rid of get the, get the people out. And when I showed up, there's all sorts of weird things happen. Like, he used bugs one time. He turned the river red. Uh, there was livestock that, like, that, that died in the process. I mean, like, can you imagine the Cliff's Notes version of Moses? What? You know, like, so many, what? He goes, oh, the wild one was, and this is one that's, like, wrecked some of your world. He goes, one time I had, like, I had this walking stick and he told me to show Pharaoh that, that that this was the true God who was talking through me to tell him to let the people go. So I walk up with the staff and I, and I lay it on the ground. And when I put it on the ground, it turns into a snake. And then I have to reach down and grab on to the tail of this thing. All right. Now I know some of you are like, I'll follow God the whole way, but I ain't picking up snakes. You know what I mean? Like, that's where my conversation with the good Lord ends. I'm done. You know, you know, so he goes, Well, like, I reach back down, I grab onto it, turns back into a staff. I'm just telling you, I saw wild things, man. I saw I I ended up, God used all those things and delivered our people. And we left. And then there's this one time we find ourselves, like there's this big body of water, and then we turn around like apparently Pharaoh decided he didn't want to make his own bricks and do all the things that we used to do for him. So when he noticed that we were all gone, he changes his mind. He sends him with his army, and they come after us. And we've got the water on one side, and we've got the army on the other side. And you should have heard the people. They were furious with me. They were saying, like, why did you bring us out here? We're going to die in the desert, all those sorts of things. And And then he said, but like as we're sitting there... God separates the water so that we're able to go through the body of water. And when we get to the other side, that entire army was chasing us. And as they came across the body of water or whether dry ground was where the water used to be, when they get in the middle, God quits holding the water back and whoosh, they're done. Wipes out the entire army. We got nobody else chasing us. This whole time we're going to this place that we're told is like land, but like God describes it as land flowing with milk and honey. Like he just trying to communicate to us that like it's awesome. And what He's prepared for us is awesome. And so we spend years following. There's this one time I go up on the mountain and I'm talking to God and I come back down and all the people that we had got, they'd seen God do all these things. We come back down the mountain. And when I get back down, they've made a golden calf, a calf out of gold. They took all their earrings and made this idol. Now they're worshiping that. God wants to kill them. And I was like, hey, hold on, don't kill him. You know, like, this is Moses trying to tell the story of his entire life. And then he gets toward the end of his story, he gets towards the the whole process, and this is where the story for me gets really, really weird. He's like, and then God sends me up on this mountain, and he lets me look from the mountain over into the promised land, but tells me I won't be able to go. I can look at it, I can see it in the distance, but I can't go. I'm going to tell you right now, if I was sitting around a campfire listening to Moses and had never heard his story, I am unhappy at this point. You're telling me that God used you, a murderer, let's be real, used you, a murderer, uh, you killed people, okay, or killed a person he used you and then told you that he was going to use you to get people and you're going to be able to see all of this people exiting egypt and then you're going to continue to be the spokesperson for them preparing them for this land flowing with milk and honey this promised land right like you're going to do all those things you're the one who was there when he separated the water both times. You're the one who, who hit the rock with your staff to bring forth water. You're the one that told them when they were complaining about food. You're the one that told God, like, they need food. They're complaining. And so he sends them manna. And then they complain again, and you go back to God, and he sends them quail. You experience all of that. You guided these people through all of these things, and God won't even let you in? He won't even let you go to the place that like, you've been telling people about? No. This is where my story ends. This is where it ends. I want you to think for just a moment. When you read this story, do you read anything about Moses being mad or angry or fussing at God? Nothing. You want to know in other parts of the story, do you read about Moses being angry at God and having very real conversations with him? Yes, you do. More than one occasion, God and Moses go back and forth in an un, unfriendly, not unfriendly, what's the right word to say here? They are arguing about the decision that God is making. So I can't believe that if Moses was unhappy, he doesn't tell God because he's told God when he was unhappy about things several times. They've spoken very, very open. And in this moment, Moses is told, you will not enter the promised land. And as we read about it, he just drifts away into those parts and we don't know where his grave is to this day. On one side, our 2023 existence gets very self-righteous very frustrated by this this is unjust because Moses put in his time and he did his work and he deserves to be able to make it and yet you don't hear that from Moses you see a Moses to that to the end of his story is willing to participate in whatever God calls him even if he doesn't get the icing at the end understand what if he doesn't get what if he sees himself as blessed to be a part of the story of God even if it's during the rough times you hear me I mean like Folks, Moses is not there in the great. We all love to be the hero. We all love to be the one walking into the parade. We love to be the then the part of the story where like it all gets better. You know what I mean? Like we love all those things. Like that's the fun parts, right? But I'm telling you, Moses was okay enduring and going through all of these things even in the end when he's not able to go to the promised land when he's not able to have the icing on the cake if you will and when I start reflecting on a guy who spent his time working there's there's reasons for him not going in those conversations can be had but this morning when I think about a Moses who did so much and yet doesn't get to experience the promised land like it's not the only place in life that that's the truth You understand I love the fact that many of you are sitting right here beside your children this morning the truth is you are going to pour into your children and grandchildren and you may never see the icing on the cake. You understand? Like you're preparing them for life in one way or another, not knowing how much longer you're going to get to pour into them. Just knowing that, like for right now, I get to pour into them. And if my son or my daughter grows into something that accomplishes things of the world, great. But my job right now is to pour into them for every day that I get. You understand? Sometimes God calls us to do things and to pour into things, whether we get to experience the icing at the end or not. You understand? What? Our motivation is not the victory lap or the victory dance at the end. Very much not the victory dance in Nazarene Church. Okay? Can we think about the Nazarene? church. We're not dancing people, okay? Some of you are like, we should be. Maybe so, all right? But we come from a denomination, folks. You don't see a whole lot of dancing, all right? Matter of fact, we had rules about it. Uh, One of the rules was, I was told when a teenager, you could dance, but you had to keep one foot on the ground. I don't understand how that rule is ever made. Try to think about dancing without one foot on the ground, but carry on. All right, so if, if when you think about the way we live this life, don't be so lost in the celebration at the end or the gratification that comes with it Recognize that sometimes our parcel, our lot, our, our job in life, it may not be to be there for the great celebration. It may be that we're there for the working through things. And if that's what God is using us for, praise God. Amen? I'm just glad to be used by Him. This morning, I, I want to challenge us to be at a place where maybe we no longer worry about the great celebration at the end or being there for the victory laps and the dances, but we're just glad to be used by God to move His creation further down the road to be used by Him to take care of our kids, to take care and steward the people around us. This morning, as you as you get a chance to think about yourself, kind of where you fit in this story of life, let's return back to being people who are okay with just doing the work no matter, no matter what, we, what we get to see at the end. I guess that's my, my closing. God, we come before you today thinking about the life of Moses and watching him and the stories he had to tell. And God, in... One moment, sometimes it may seem to us that Him not making it to the promised land seems like a bit of a... almost like He got stolen from. But God, sometimes it is our task to to help in a certain position, a certain place. God, help remove us in the culture that we live in. Help remove us from this infatuation with being the, the hero or at the victory lap or at the final end of it. But God, finding peace in doing our task and our chore, but doing it for You. Doing it with honor. God, doing it knowing that we're serving you in whatever you've called us to. And God, if you've called us to be there when we get to enter the promised land and have a great celebration, awesome. God, if you've called us to work through some of the more difficult times, to work through the desert, to work through the wilderness, God, we praise you because we're just grateful that you are using us in your story. God, we love you today. We thank you for who you are, and we look forward to what else you have in store for us. Is your son's name we pray. Amen.